from Montana to Mexico, Texas to Tajikistan, Alaska to Asia, Colorado to Canada, Rolling Bones Outdoors presents Hunt the World. Our team at Rolling Bones Outdoors is here to help you create memories that will last a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's hunt the world. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Hunt the World with Rolling Bones Outdoors. Welcome to the Bone Cave. My name is Brian Maimon, and I'll be your host today. I was, actually, I won't even be the host. All of us are hosts. Um, I'm just the guy that's going to um, intro us. Big shout out to Chris and uh, Brad. Brad. Um, they're in Africa right now, and because they had, Snap they picture. were one of those that didn't get. They had a guaranteed draw in Wyoming, which we talked about. If you haven't listened to some of this, go to the last podcast or one of the past ones. I don't know which one it was. But anyway, Brian and Brad um, are sending me pictures today from Africa, and they are whacking big animals and having a blast, and um, thanking us for sending them to another amazing adventure in an amazing place. So, anyway, welcome to the. Bone Cave. We're happy to have you. I have Bleep to my left, as always. Um, and uh, he will make sure that Brian Martin, when he says something inappropriate, that you will not hear it. And you know, I've said this before, but Bleep would not be actually the best name for you. Okay? Because you don't bleep. When you bleep people, you don't like beep, 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 beep. You don't believe in that. You just He's cut. You we just take the word out. We He's can't a, call him mute. You yeah, mute. <laughs> we call him mute. No, but he's not mute because he has no but problem he, he telling us him, what we're doing wrong. He call there's, him edit. there's times I'd like to mute him. I, see, I Don't like tell bleep. me the truth. I think I, I like bleep, so I think we should stick Yeah, well, you, you, you created it. So yeah. anyway, we got Brad Dana, a.k.a. hashtag 393. And then we have uh, Brian Martin, uh, the mountain man Martin, who uh, I, I, I always think of that story every single week we do this, uh, that you just took off and went 45 miles. And I can only imagine the, uh, the, the look on those guys' face when the door was knocked on. And they're in the middle of nowhere thinking there's no way another human being is within 50 miles of me. And all of a sudden they hear... Yeah, because it was dark. It just got dark. They had to crap their <laughs> pants. Yeah, they were surprised. <laughs> they were surprised. They were surprised. <laughs> well, that's where he got the name Mountain Man, because Brian used to be just dropped. People would go, hey, I need this sheep territory checked out. So he would just go take his backpack okay, and Give me the coordinates. And, uh, I need um, a couple go, mountain houses. Go hang out. Yeah, I saw <laughs> sheep on this ridge and this ridge. And, but that's why you are um, a sheep guy. So anyway, all right, so uh, we are going to go over today um, guided hunts because you know what, we've, this is uh, something that's been great feedback from all of you listeners and we really, really appreciate that. But the guided hunts, uh, managing expectations and understanding what you're getting into before you get into there. So I want to break it up in three segments today that we can help everybody uh, with. Number one is time before the hunt. What are you doing to prepare for this hunt? In that time that you have before the hunt, and maybe you get ready a week before. I don't know, Brad. Maybe you get ready two weeks before. Bleep get, or, uh, um, Martin gets ready um, two the hours. Night of. The, the night of the hunt, right? <laughs> and then he just stays Within up 24 for hours. Days. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. <laughs> but what do you do during that time? I want your perspective from a guide and an outfitter, both maybe. And then I want yours from, um, from uh, a... Uh, basically an adventure seeker, even though you run a large booking agency. Um, what is it that you're doing as an adventure seeker? Um, and so what's your approach to it in preparing? Right. Um, maybe it's physical, maybe it's gear, all that, okay? So uh, why don't you go? Um, with time, 
It depends, again, on, on your level of expertise. So I've had a lot of people over the years say, I want to be on a cancellation list. And they said, well, can you go? Are you ready to go at, at a drop of a hat? So my advice to hunters that go on these kind of hunts, these backcountry, western Canada, Alaska hunts, is always have your stuff kind of ready, especially if you have a flexible schedule. So, you know, you have your gun with loads. You don't buy a new gun and and get it shipped like a week before your hunt. You always have maybe get a new gun sometimes, but, you know, have something that's always ready to go. Always have your boots and everything ready to go. I keep my satellite phones and everything charged at the end of the hunt. So when I come back from a hunt... I itemize what did I leave as a as a tip, for example. What did I break? What did I not take that I should have? And I'll make a list and right, get everything. I'll make everything and get everything organized. Because you two Brian's leave more stuff than typical. I do a lot. You in particular. I do a, a lot of little things because a lot of times in these poor countries, the guys can't get the stuff. Right. You know, it depends. Now, if I go to a North American hunt, probably don't leave that much. But if I go on Asian hunt or Africa hunt, but I always have a lot of gifts that I take that aren't my main. I don't leave my main hunting stuff that I need. Brian, I'll take extra stuff. Brian uh, Maiman is known for that, leaving his stuff. I, I do because you do. because here's why. I feel like they can't get to Shields or Cabela's or go to RollingBones.com and buy something that, that we have for these hunts. And uh, I shouldn't give a, a, a plug for those two companies. But anyway, um, it is what it is. But I feel like I feel like that these guys are on the mountain. Give you an example. That hunt I was just on. Again, I don't want to digress. We'll get right back to what we're talking about. But that, but to speak to what you're the saying. The Alaska hunt. Yeah. So I had just bought a new tripod. <laughs> Jeez, did and you leave your tripod? No, 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 no. What happened was the guy goes... The guy goes, let's not take your tripod the next day because we're going to go do a big pull. It's going to be 18 miles. And he had his tripod, which is junk. And he had his tripod. And he goes, but I like your tripod. I'll carry it. (laughs) He goes, do you have it? He goes, I think it's the same Arco Swiss rail that I have. Arco Swiss. Arco Swiss. And I go, yeah, it looks like it. And he goes, yeah. So let's, let's, I'll put your tripod in my pack. I really like that new head on that thing. And that's, that's as light as mine. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, okay. Well, then we end up using it the entire hunt. Right. And um, how do I go give me my tripod back? <laughs> right. And, and he needed it. And, and I can go grab it. And you can easily one. replace it. And you might find a better one that you like better. Oh, you you know can. What? But I, historically, what happens I, I miss it and is you don't, don't have it. Well, and you have to make a list at the yeah. end of the hunt, have a little notepad, a little <laughs> that, journal. So that's a good point. Write down everything that you. That's why you them. heard me say, hmm. Uh, make that note because that's what I need to do. I just need to on the way back or what did I give away? And spotting what, scope. When now I'm it's a plane, tripod. Yep. So you need a spotting scope and a tripod now, my friend, just to I put do. it on your list. Write I need it down, to call please. the office here and say get this ordered <laughs> for me so I have it sitting in my office when I get back. You're right. So anyway, go ahead. Or if it's little things like I, I go to Amazon and save like on your wish list. Let's say you you, you used up a bunch of wipes. You, you you wipes use your foot blisters for somebody and athletic tape or whatever. You go on and add that stuff. Well, it's funny because my uh, um, compedes, when I was leaving, I was just handing them out. <laughs> now, I did immediately because that's, like, uh, more important than a, uh, a podcast or a podcast, the spotting yeah. scope. I'm getting bleep looking at me. I'm trying not to make eye contact with him because he's going he's, to focus. He's getting okay, off back to you. Go ahead. So with time, I think, uh, again, a new hunter is going to spend a lot of time organizing and planning. For a lot of the hunters that go on, say, Asian hunts, African hunts, you know, Alaska hunts, for them, they might be planning and buying gear and testing gear over the course of uh, six months or a year. And that's why these guys like to book out. You can always tell the guys who have been on like 15 sheep hunts, 
they said, yep, when do I need to be there? Um, how cold is it going to be? Okay, good, I'm done. Right? I mean, literally, they, they already know. They've already had the mistakes. They've lived through the trials and tribulations. And everybody has different life experiences. So some guys maybe had an experience with a satellite phone. They take an extra satellite phone. Some guys went on a hunt and the guy didn't have a binocular. And they let, loaned him their binocular. They didn't have a binocular the whole hunt. So when I'm going on any hunt, I always say, treat it like a DIY hunt with guide assistance. So anytime you're going on That's a hunt a where you can't buy stuff, let's say you're hunting in Colorado and you're hunting in Gunnison, you're hunting outside of Pueblo, you know, something goes wrong, you can go to the sporting goods store and buy something. Mm-hmm. You hunt, you go to like some bush plane flight in Alaska, you do some trip in, um, say, Central Asia, you do something in the CAR of Africa, good luck finding it there. So take everything you can, um, always take your day pack uh, on your, as your carry-on with as much necessities that you can. The cowboy boots, the wranglers, and that kind of stuff, put those in your check bags because you can live without those, but you can't live without your hunting boots and everything. So I always have stuff ready to go. So at the end of the season, at the end of a hunt, I'll make a list and start adding it so I know I just always have stuff on hand. I always have batteries. I have everything. Because sometimes I I do last-minute packing, but I know I basically have everything. And so I don't recommend that if you're not an experienced traveler. I still, even for me, should be packing three to four days before the trip. But I already know in my mind I already have everything I need. I got sleeping bags for every occasion, tents for every occasion, guns for every occasion, boots for every occasion, different kinds of pants um, and, and jackets. So, you know, and having a good equipment list, like I always had a really good one for the Asian and, and uh, Canadian hunts three to four pages, but I put every little thing down there, like toothbrush, toothpaste, you know, dental floss, uh, crazy glue. I don't just have like a one-page checklist because a lot of times it's those little things that you forget that um, you won't be able, you, you know, you really need. And then with a shooting, all, same thing. If, if the first time you shot your gun in six months is a week before you hunted, you're probably not shooting your gun enough. So you don't really necessarily need to shoot your gun a couple of days before you leave because you should be having a gun that you're you're already you're familiar with and maybe you do some loads i've had times though i did load development you know the day before and had to throw stuff together and load it in the dark and then go to the airport because i came off of a hunt um where i was guiding and it went a week longer than i expected and i didn't account for that of course and so i've had and i wanted to test some ammo so as trip. a i'm gonna as a guide okay yep what are you telling your guys i mean uh, t- telling the clients you tell yeah uh, yep i'm sorry telling the clients what, should they be ready? Do, do you like to talk to them? I always like to talk to them because sometimes people don't read, but it's always it's always <laughs> good to give it's always good to give people um you know written information too. Um, no, that's, that's so funny because they don't. We I, I and I'm not. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I'm one of those guys. We love you, okay? But we know because we send countless emails out as as their uh, concierge service, and then they'll go, hey, I, I don't. Who's my guide? I'm leaving in three weeks, and we're like, yeah, we sent that to you 60 days before the hunt. We sent it to you three months, uh, six months before the hunt, and we sent it to you three days after you booked it. And so, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't read those emails. So it, that's it's a super valid point. Well, and, and I think, and I gave this advice to an outfitter who was newer in the business, it was well, uh, Jimmy. I said, honestly, I said, because all your clients are coming from the United States, I said, mail out a packet a couple months before the hunt with equipment list, their invoice, you know, when your newsletter, all this kind of stuff, and get it out there to them. Um, because some guys don't like printing out emails. A lot of guys look at everything on their phone, and if they get that packet, it's kind of like getting a nice magazine. They can just put it on their table. They can make notes on it. So I still still create a folder for every hunt that I go on, a manila folder. And so if I'm going with a, a 
let's say if I'm going hunting in Africa or I'm going hunting someplace, I print off whatever the outfitter gives me, and sometimes it's minimal. Um, I print off my itinerary, print off that kind of stuff, and stick it in there so I at least I have a hard copy of it. Make a copy of the passport. Sometimes you get there and they need an extra copy of the passport. The good outfitters will usually already have copies of your passport made. Sometimes they forget something in the extra one. You know, have an extra copy of your form 4457 in case you lose it, for example. Little things like that. Um, you know, don't assume anything that the guide's going to have stuff when you get there. Don't assume he's going to have all the knives you need or the, the optics you need. So take the time to make sure you pack extra stuff because when you are going on a guided hunt, um, you know, the guide can be the limitation sometimes. I've had times when the guide didn't have enough gear and I had an extra sleep mat, I had an extra backpack and that allowed us to go hunt harder and farther. Otherwise, we were relying on junky gear from the guide and he would have been miserable and I would have been fine. So I always look at the common denominator, control the things I can control and the gear is one of them. Obviously, the fitness, training year round is ideal. You don't have to be like, a, you know, a marathon runner the whole year, but you, you, you don't want to just start training like two weeks before your hunt either if you've never gone on one of these hunts. Some guys are just athletic and they train year round just because that's the way they are. And other guys, I mean, throw stuff together at the last minute and with their gear and their fitness and their gun and they get on the hunt and it's always a constant fixing things and, you know, blisters on their feet because their boots weren't broken in. Um, the gun wasn't tightened, you know, th the trigger was dirty uh, their action and barrel was dirty. You got to tighten the scope mounts. There's a lot of things, you know, that stuff should all be done. So when you get there, you don't have to um, waste time and, and, and cost yourself an animal because you didn't have the gear that you needed. Brad, what about you? Oh, that's good data, Brian. Really good data. Um, kind of amazing it came from you. Well, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do I get prepared for a hunt? Um, I would say it breaks down into several things um and everybody wants to be a gear gear guy and that's i think people spend a lot of time you don't yeah you don't you kind of wing it sometimes my friend i am not the gear guy i know um, hey brad do you have uh, brad do you no have, no 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 brad, that's that, that oh, oh yes whoa, whoa, whoa you cannot <laughs> say that I'm not the gear guy, and you guys are asking me for gear. <laughs> hey, can I get a pair of your sunglasses? Whatever. That's Mark Cassavan. Oh, my God. Um, I have video proof of all this shit. Go so to our YouTube channel. I would say. Rolling, and we can figure this out real quick. I would say several different aspects. Mental, physical, gear, shooting, and, uh, you know, attitude. Attitude goes into mental, but uh, um, those are things that I would comment on so um, so pick one mental attitude i think is maybe the most important and maybe the most oftentimes overlooked i would say if you're going into a guided hunt um, a lot of people have the wrong perspective on what a guided hunt is a guided hunt oftentimes is uh, you have somebody that you're getting access to something that you otherwise would not be able to access property oftentimes maybe it's private maybe you're going across private so you can get to um, a great spot that's public maybe it's uh, your a landowner tag um, you know the landowner tag the opportunity to get the landowner tag comes with the hunt you know things like that um, it, going back to what my buddy Scott because I never did I never wanted to do a guided hunt and Scott drug me into my first one he's like Brad you don't have to check your brain at the door you get to be the man because he'd done it a bunch of times and I'd never done one I'm like dude I'm not doing a guided hunt a guided hunt does not mean that you get 
a babysitter and somebody that I don't look at a guided hunt in that perspective. And I think that a lot of times people do look at it like, okay, I've, I've paid for a guided hunt. Now I, okay. You didn't, you didn't buy a guided hunt to punch your tag. That's not what a guided hunt means to me. And I think that is one of the big things, the mental and attitude. Well, I, preparedness. I think people need to understand too, when they buy a hunt, I just want to inject it. We're not selling him an animal, right? Um, <laughs> you, you, Arch, you archery elk hunting. meat, yep. ribeyes are cheaper than, than most oh, wild yeah. game. Archery elk hunting is the classic. That's one of the – and I love it. I mean, I get it. I understand why. But a lot of people say, I want to do a guided elk hunt. Okay, or I want to do an elk hunt. I want to, have, I want to shoot a great big bull. You know, I want it pretty cheap. I want it, you know, I want it comfortable. I want it in a lodge. I mean, you have to manage your expectations. A guide – an archery elk hunt the national average success rate is about 10 percent so if you go 10 years in a row you're going to shoot one elk that's what that means now the reality of it is the person that's able to go to the same spot and learn how to do it etc etc might take might take seven eight years to do it how many people do we know that go on a, a archery elk hunt and and have hunted five years and never gotten a shot what a guided archery elk hunt maybe will do for you is cut your learning curve. Um, okay, this is how this guy calls. It's not like it is on TV. This guy's not walking around on top of a ridge with a Primo's uh, flute and, and whistling every time. You know, okay, we're quiet. We might make a squirrely little bugle. A lot of, you get to see all this. Um, so how do you prepare for that? Well, I think managing your expectations and, and understanding what an expectation of a guided hunt is, is maybe the, one of the most important things. Um, I'm going to be with somebody who does this for a living. They do it all, all fall long and I'm going to learn. That's what I, I always see when I go into something, if there's something I can pick up from this guy and learn from, cause, um, who knows what it is. Glassing technique, your guy in Alaska, you're super experienced and he had some great tips. You picked up a couple of things from that guy. <laughs> You're holding up. What do you think? I have bionic eye now. <laughs> no, I, I need some LASIK. Yeah, he needs LASIK. But but mental mental and attitude, um, understanding what this involves, physical preparation. And, gonna, and I think that, that our yep. next our next uh, touch point is going to be the hunt, yep. weather, um, how to manage it, attitude wise. I, I guess you know physical I, I, preparation I, 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 is great. Yeah, it's I'm great if you what can do be. You do well. I try to, to I try to, to have a minimal level of fitness throughout the year. I try not to just totally turn into a slovenly slob, you know, and then say, okay, now, because I want to be able, there are opportunities that come up. I want to be ready to go on such an opportunity. I try to maintain some level of minimal fitness, right? Now, I obviously, before I'm going to do a sheep hunt, I kick it up, right? Gear, I try to, at the end of the season, I try to fine-tune and go through any gear, replace what I need to replace, replace what's missing, replace if something didn't Broken. work. Um, yeah, replace that, um, wax all my boots, you know, recondition the leather, get new boots, whatever. Um, but I, tr you know, gear wise, I don't, I, I generally don't need new gear or I replace gear. That's, you know, I got new pants and some new stuff that was just worn out this year, but I don't need a lot of it. It's not like I need gear. I need to replace gear. Sometimes I need a specialty gear, but have what you need. I generally have my stuff for the most part packed and ready from the beginning and it, you know, maybe needs augmented a little bit. I can grab my two bags and I'm off. 
Um, shooting, I try to shoot all through the year. I, I try to have my rifle prepared, my bow prepared, whatever it is. You know, my, my bow, obviously, I don't shoot nearly as much as I used to. But, you know, try to try to have it out and try to have it set up, try to have my broadheads ready, try to have sharp broadheads, try to have my arrows. You know, I, everything's ready. My bow, I could walk in and grab it today, bring it to this pheasant hunt, and I'd be hunting deer in the morning if I wanted to. Um, so... Those are those are high points that I would say. I like it. I like it. Um, my 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 rifle case. I have my rifle, so it's set up. I could grab my rifle bag. It's got my shooting sticks in it. It's got my bipod in it. It's got at least forty rounds of ammo. I have everything I need. I have a cleaning rod in there. I have cleaning jags. I have a couple of CO one packets in. It. I mean, I can grab that at a moment's notice. Throw it in the car, and it is ready. It's always zeroed. My data's right. Yada, yada, yada. So, so from my perspective, and that's really good stuff, and I really appreciate that. I, I, I'm just going to add a couple things here. The manila envelope, just so you know, I do the same thing, okay? I yeah, the a, envelope I, with a file, you mean yep, like this? I, I have a file folder in it with an envelope, yeah. right? And, and I, I put it in you there. You put your license tags in there if you have those. I, I put everything. CITES permits if you need I those. I put any, anything I need. And, um, and because Lindley keeps track of everything, so then I also, I'm terrible with receipts, and, but American Express helps me. I use an American Express um, personally because it itemizes everything. But I take them out and I throw them in there. And then I have them for each hunt that I went on or what I'm doing. And then I know where I was at. Now, I need to do a better job of that with the local hunts. But a guided hunt, for sure, I start an envelope the day I book it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I click out my receipt, and I write the contact information inside Yeah, print the out envelope. your contract, make yep. some notes on it if you did a wire check, whatever. And yep, and, and I have all that. Sometimes now, the outfitter loses his stuff, or he's in the field, he doesn't remember what you paid, and you just, as a hunter, you should keep track of everything. Yes, and if you're booking with us, your dashboard will have all of that on there. Your dashboard will have all that on there, and we have a file for you. In the back of your file electronically, our software support all that but I did that for years and I still do it I still have I still print out even my rolling bones receipt because obviously I book my hunts through us I print them out and then I put my contact information on there who I'm hunting with I just pulled the one out of my bag for the Kotzebue hunt yeah you're good at that and you do a good job yeah, keeping track of and all I, that stuff I, I have all the guys on there so that's the first thing I do the second thing I do is I, I 60 days before I'm going to go which usually starts in August for me because um, I try to book an August hunt or early September, but 60 days before I go, I have an alarm set on my phone. It goes off, and I want to, one, review the Outfitters Guide, um, their, 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 uh, um, their, their gear list. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because maybe there's something I don't have or that I need, and, and I'm not a gear guy, so I don't have an abundance of that stuff. And then and you um, don't keep it if you don't. And, and I don't. I, I don't. Days. I don't. I, I'm a. I'm a minimalist. You know that. I throw shit away fast. And so. Um, you whoa, 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 whoa! Let's not throw this away. <laughs> so. Um, so anyway. Uh, so then the next thing I specifically do is um, if I'm a traveling on an airplane, I have one style of bag. If I'm traveling in a truck, I have a big rubber bag. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because a truck, I, I'm not, I don't do the wheeled bag. But if, I, if yeah. I'm traveling on an airplane, I have a system that's, uh, that's my system. I know you don't appreciate it. But I can, I can get three bags all going on wheels at one time, and I can maneuver without anybody else, and I don't have to ratchet. I can just go. 
And um, so I've came but up. Your with system this. is nice because you don't have to use a luggage cart. I don't. I don't have to use a luggage cart. Right. I, I, I hook my roller bag onto my big roller bag, my Mr. Ranch roller bag, and I have those two hooked together. I drop it down, and now with this bigger, um, that new the, uh, locker, the gun I vault. Bought, the gun vault. Yeah, that thing's amazing. Yes. So that I, I put that on my list. I'm actually as many gun cases as I have, I'm going to get that one. Right. So that thing so to nice. me is like a whole nother suitcase. And so now I got three and I can go anywhere. And so what I do is I just organize my bags as the next thing. And then the, the, um, and then shooting, then, you know, it's archery or rifle. Um, I don't think, I think people think they have to go shoot at two, 300 yards. We just had a, a guy call the other day. Oh, I'm shooting at 200. I personally shoot at 100 because it's a short range for us to get at 100, and I like to go get as tight a groups as I can and just make sure the gun's there, clean it, make sure the gun's there. If I can shoot four or five times before I go and just go down and shoot six rounds, two groups of uh, three to confirm that, and same way with archery. Um, I learned a long time ago that if you put Gene Drinkman used to just go put aspirins on uh, those Excelsior bales, little white aspirins. What, and 10 yards? 10 yards, and just try to knock those aspirins It's that 10-to-1 ratio we were talking about. It, it's exact. You talked about it in, the, in a former <coughs> podcast. That's exactly right. So I do that, and then the other thing I love doing, now this is this is a Johnny-come-lately thing, and I have to, I'm, I'm totally a millennial when it comes to this. I'm a YouTuber. I'm YouTubing everything I can on it because I want to mentally prepare for what might be expected on this hunt, and YouTube's an endless whole of it's basically bleep you've said this before it's actually a it's actually a search what do you call a search engine it's a search it's its own search engine it's a video search and engine it's for video content exactly engine. and it's it's just amazing and music so so that's what i do from that perspective so that's the time before the hunt um that's mine so let's move to the hunt okay brad we'll start with you a uh, managing expectations weather game physical condition and gear issues uh, what, 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 how are, when you go into a hunt, day one you get started, um, weather throws you a curveball. Well, I would say I start, and you know me well enough. I do. I have, an, I have a perception and an expectation of what I'm going in for. If I'm going in for something special, I'm going to be prepared to shoot something special. If I'm going into a place that's this is not a this is something special hunt, I just want to <coughs> have the experience, then it's different. But You've seen me pass up a lot of stuff that you think that you've commented that it was foolish to do. I've also seen you shoot too early. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides of it, <laughs> knowing you well. Um, well and but, you've taken the rifle from me off uh, an animal that was the biggest animal shot, and I should have <laughs> shot it, and I still hate you for it. But anyway, go ahead. But I, I have the mental, uh, you know, the mental mindset of what am I looking for, and, and that's what I really want to hunt for. Um, you know, once I shot a brown bear, then I wanted a special brown bear. You know, I was, I was prepared to go the hunt and come home without, and, and I would have been happy with it cause I'd have got the experience and it, you have to, what's the most important thing? Is it shooting an animal or is it experience? And a lot of times for me, it's the experience and the time in the field. Um, you know, a lot of times it's like quantity of time that I get outdoors is, uh, more important than just shooting a and, and a lot of times I don't fill my tag, uh, but it's not like I didn't have a good hunt because I didn't fill my tag. So I would say I manage my expectations and, and I go in with a pretty clear cut agenda of what I'm looking for. Does that make sense? Yep. So from an outfitter standpoint and a guide standpoint, how do you manage weather issue and slow game movement? <laughs> Patience. <laughs> 
having backup plans, having good gear that doesn't leak. So when you, when the weather breaks, you're ready to go. Right. Um, the hardest hunting is North America because most of the places you're going to hunt and the rest of the world doesn't have resident hunters and they don't have as many predators unless you're hunting predators like in Africa. So the only place you really get skunked on many hunts, to be honest with you, is North America. You know, most of your Asian hunts, your African hunts, unless you're hunting the, some of the big five, like an elephant or a lion or leopard, where that has to come out of a park or baited, it's pretty high success. You know, where in North America, you may have to shoot a good representative animal just to even get one on some of these wilderness hunts with low, low game densities where you're competing with residents and bad weather. You just don't have the bad weather on most of your European and South American and now even New Zealand because they use a chopper there. They just wait for the weather to break and go up. And if you're now, if you're doing a DIY hunt in, in New Zealand, you get, you do a hike and hunt. That can be like hunting Alaska. So you're, you know, a couple things about the hunt that I think is really important um, is one of my friends came up with this. He said, no one to hold and no one to fold. Basically, don't take a shot that you can't make. Don't take don't shoot a small animal just to kill it. But at the same time, don't shoot a small animal. Well, yeah, don't shoot a small animal and then um, and then regret it or, or don't turn down a big animal on the first day because you want more days of hunting and then regret not shooting it. So so if, you ha if your success relies on you shooting an animal or the wife is going to want a new furniture set because you didn't, if, you know, if, if you don't get an animal or whatever, so you got a lot of pressure on yourself Definitely don't turn down an animal on the first day that you would shoot on the last day. But at the same time, you may turn down a, a 180 mule deer on the first day because you want to shoot a 190, but you still won't shoot a 180 on the last day just because that's what your goal is, and it's a fine hunt. So you got you to put down in your mind mentally what's going to be a success in your in, in your. Is it, a, is it a record book animal? Is it a representative? Is it meat for the freezer? Is it enjoying the mountain and hunting as many days as you can? So that's why I like guys to have a second tag. So like San Asia, I said, don't turn down a 48 inch Ibex on the first day thinking you're going to shoot a 50 because the chance of a 50 small, shoot the 48 and then hunt the next five days for a 50. 50 that's a good idea. Right. But don't shoot a 42 on the first day if the area produces a bunch of 47s, unless again, you just, you, you like doing it. So you got to be realistic. So I always look, what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? And what's the average that the area can produce? So don't be looking for a 370 bull in an area that produced one in 1975, right? So guys have unrealistic expectation. And that's where the outfitter needs to be honest with his hunter and make sure that the, the outfitter and the hunter are on the same page and what realistically the area can produce. The other thing is if you're, if you're a guy who really wants a big trophy, you better know what the big trophy is because a lot of guides are not great at judging animals. Not every guide has that ability to look at an animal and say that's a 360 bull and it has 53-inch beams and, you know, 17-inch time length average. A lot of guys, unless you're going with some of these guys that specialize in governor tag hunts and stuff, are not that great at judging animals off the spur of the cuff. And so the hunter, I said, if that's important to you to shoot a big animal, you need to take personal responsibility for your shooting and the trophy judging. Now, the guide needs to take you where the game is because you don't know the area. The guide needs to provide a vehicle or a horse. But the other stuff, if you consider yourself a real hunter, you need to be capable of judging the animal, especially if it's an animal that you've Super hunted a lot. Super good point. Super and good also point. knowing and being able to make that shot, don't be blaming the guide, really. If, you, if the guide is always having to set your gun up in, in a shooting position, it probably means you, have, you, you lack shooting confidence. 
and because the guide should be keeping his eye on the animal, and the hunter should be instantly finding a rest when you determine that's the animal that you want. But again, no hunt to hold, no one to fold. Don't shoot the wrong animal. Communicate with your guide. Make sure you're shooting the one. If he says shoot the one on the right, make sure you describe what's the one on the right doing. Well, it's eating right now. It just scratched its it scratched its left ear with its uh, you know hind leg. That kind of stuff. So you know you're shooting the right one. Never assume anything. And um, yeah, I mean. Because a lot of a lot of stuff comes down to the shot. I mean, it's an insult to the guide when the guide does all his work, and you show up grossly incompetent with your gun and miss, and wound animals. Right when the guide puts you in a good position, because it's a team effort. It's like Tom Brady throwing a pass and having his receivers drop it half the time. Yeah, he's going to be pretty pissed off. He's not going to throw that receiver anymore. So I mean, if you put the guy in a good shooting position and a good animal, the hunter's job, in my opinion, is closing the deal because that's the one thing the guy can't really do. Now, if you wound the animal in certain places and you know, and you can't physically keep up with the animal, maybe the guy can finish it. But that's never really the objective. That's kind of like fixing a screw up, right? Um, that's like wearing a seatbelt in a car crash. You don't plan to have a car crash, but if you got the seatbelt on, you walk away from it. And um, so, yeah, that's something. And always question the guy just because the guide says this is the way I always do it. And it's your hunt, you're paying the money, and you're tipping the guide and make sure he knows that you know, this needs to be a team effort, not just whatever he wants to do. So at the same time, don't be, it is also, you have to have some diplomacy um, because a lot of guides have big egos and stuff too, and so some mm -hmm. of the hunters do. So you're trying to push a couple of alpha personalities to get along. I would say that's the biggest thing we see when there's an issue in camp. It's two egos bouncing off of each other. And, uh, um, and, and I think that going in with the right attitude as Brad said, an attitude of humility saying, listen, I know who I am and having confidence. And when that time comes, you haven't already argued with him 14 times because yeah. you're trying to prove to him. It's like this. It's like a guy used to, a lot of people say, and, and I always just go roll my eyes. Yeah, I was a butcher. Yep, I'm a butcher. I worked at a butcher shop. No, I'm a butcher. Okay, well, I actually was a butcher. And, and, and once you was a butcher, you is a butcher. You always are a butcher. Once a guide, <laughs> always a guide. It's exactly right, and it always makes me laugh. I'm a butcher. Oh, we'll find out. Uh, do you know where the slip joint is in the uh, um, butt end of a pork loin? Uh, oh, 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 what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, and the fact of the matter is it's 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 attitude when you go in. Don't My, my thing is, is, and you probably well, see Well, attitude it. can solve, fix most things. Let's say the, hor the guide's <laughs> horses all run away. You know, because he didn't have the right lead ropes and, 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 and uh, foot pickets. I mean, you can throw a shit fit and, and, and cause some problems, but it's just going to make everybody on edge and they're not going to want. But if you can go out and help the guy catch the horses or whatever, yeah, it was a stupid mistake. Um, but it's not going to solve the hunt if you throw a shit fit. Right, for sure. So I have a few things that I came up with in Alaska this year 85 miles on my feet, not one legal ram. Probably hunted with the Best, most aggressive sheep guide I've ever hunted with. Really outside, liked him. Outside of Jeff Brawley. But, but, he's, but he's younger than Jeff, so he can. No, Jeff, that guy has a, 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 is a good, I've talked to him a few times. He's serious. Yes, super serious. He is a goer, right? And so when he was leaving my hunt, he was going in. He had two hunt, sheep hunts left, and one was a special tag. Okay, and the other one was a special tag. So they were getting dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and uh, um, and he scored on both those. Unfortunately, we didn't see a legal ramp. You know, right. This is the way it goes. Same right? outfitter? Same, same. Uh, no, oh, you won, the next one was same outfitter, different area of that place. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that because I want your opinion on that. And then, uh, um, and then a whole different area uh, with a different um, outfitter. However, um, so I came up with some thoughts on this hunt. 
And I would it's like time to, guys, to it's always a time to self reflect. It is, and I'd like I'd I'd like to see what your guys' feedback is. Feedback is, and it's part of this today. Number one, physical hunts are ninety percent metal. Uh, most everything is mental to a certain extent, up until the point that you um, because fall off a cliff. I understand, right? But 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 you got to know your limitations. But yeah. it's physical hunts are ninety percent mental, and I would say. 5% the right gear, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're 80% mental, 10% the right gear, and 10% physical. But here's the reality. Depends if, on the hunt. If you're not in a hurry, okay, mm -hmm. I was in some of the nastiest stuff I've ever been in, and I went places I said I'd never go, okay? So I would say Alaska, I mean, if, you, if you're not physically able, you won't be able to be successful. I mean, you can have the most mental toughness, but if you weigh 300 pounds... And you're five foot eight. But I'm six foot oh, four, yeah. 240, 235. No, but you at one time were an athlete, though. So at one time in your life, you were a competitive athlete. And so you know what it's like to push yourself. So some of these hunters I've dealt with never were athletes. Okay, so maybe my perspective is wrong. Totally different. I mean, but, but I would say the, the, the more difficult the country, like the mountain goat hunting, the, the backpack. Hunting. If you physically can't carry a 70-pound pack, I don't care how manly tough you are. And then you got to say, okay, we got to switch up. We got to hire a packer, and you carry a thirty-pound pack, right? Because you physically—I mean, you can mainly want to do it. You can mainly want to be a yeah, gymnast. You, you're probably right. You can mainly want to be a gymnast. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. So, so my my perspective is gone. But for me personally, I, for, I feel for like a guy that's in shape and physically is capable. Okay, let's take a professional athlete. The difference between Larry Bird and another guy that likes looks like Larry Bird is not athleticism, but mental and, and preparation, Okay, right? so you're saying a guy goes into this, he's 300 pounds, you have to, he's 5'10", five 5'11". Foot five foot he had no business booking this hunt, no, even though he had dreamed to do it, yeah. even though every told, buddy told him it was going to uh, be tough physically, and, and then he couldn't do it physically. It's, it's his own fault? It's like trying to, it's trying to pull... To some degree? Oh, it well, is his own fault. I, I, I reflect on myself. What is my lifespan of some of these hunts? I don't know. My, my, some of I used to think it was shorter than I think it some is now. Of it now is I think it's longer. How well you can keep yourself ready to do it and mm -hmm. maintain and that. And some and of not, it's luck. And not yo-yo. Did you have a knee replacement? Right. Did you have colon right. cancer? Do you, you know, some right. of this stuff is just good right. luck or bad luck. Right. So, Did you get so a car wreck I put the on the way to the airport? Physical hunts are 90% mental For if you, you're in shape. If okay? you, you have to have the parameter if you are capable of doing the hunt. If you're not capable of doing the hunt, like it's like it's like a hundred pound Asian girl that wants to do compete with a sumo wrestler. She can desire all she wants to right. kick okay. a sumo wrestler, with, but she's within not reason. capable. Okay, within reason. Yeah, making the shot is ninety percent muscle memory. Yeah, it's, it's everything. Uh, but you know, because you know, the only way you can train for hunting is you have to have. That's why I can see stuff happening on a hunt that maybe you, because you have a lot of trigger time, but a lot of guys don't. And I said, we can't do this, and here's why. Here's what's going here's, here's to happen. If you shoot the animal when he's standing there, and he takes one step, he falls on the cliff. Wait wait until he gets over here, assuming. You always assume, what happens if shit goes wrong? Right. But, right? but for me, I, I'm talking, the outfitter told me that's, that's the animal. My partner, okay, the guide I'm with goes, okay, that's our animal. Now the approach, everything else is on me. Making that shot's 90% muscle memory once it's where I want, when I'm ready to yeah, shoot. Given that, given that you got the given wind call Given that I got everything. the wind call and I've done that, it's 90% muscle memory once that happens. Recoil management and trigger pull, basically. The recoil management, trigger pull, and, and, and my mental state of mind. Weather is a condition that I can't control, so I need to control my 
personal condition. Perseverance, my maybe. So I came up with through that. the supermoon. You weather, get, you weather's get a condition. Through, yep. It's in a condition I can't control. So I need to control the condition that I can't. You control which is my the tent attitude. to make sure the tent doesn't leak. Exactly. You take enough tent stakes so the tent doesn't blow away. Put rocks on the tent stakes so the tent doesn't blow away if it gets worse. Right. Yep. Make and sure you tape your barrels so if you do a head plant, you don't fill it with mud and grit. Yep. All these little things, right? Yep. So you can say, well, this is. You hear a lot of these guys, well, I had this happen and this happened, but I listen to them. 90% of the screw-ups were prevented because of incompetence and lack of planning. Right, because, because when I look at the hunt, okay, if I prepared from a gear list perspective and checked out the gear list, which I said we did above, right? It was one of the things I said as I'm 60 days 60 before, days before. I, I look at the gear list from the outfitter. Do I have this? Yes. Okay, now when I'm on the hunt, if something went wrong with my gear, okay, and, and I didn't have the right gear, whose fault is that? Right. Well, it can, it, it can be the outfitter for not informing you. But if he informed me yeah. and that gear is compromised or it wasn't. Yeah, you know, well, one thing about gear I would say, because I tried new trekking poles. I mean, never do that. On, on that sheep I hunt. had a miserable trip. And to, it was do, your, do your epic, training. During yeah. your training, test the gear. During your hunting, take the proven stuff. So you've said that before. I had a very expensive experience on that in Russia. I went to Russia with, with new boots, new backpack, new rain gear. Miserable. It made me want to tap out. Take the extra stuff that you, you don't know and try it and maybe give it to the guides and stuff. But always, if you're going to try something, take something that's still reliable. Yeah. I, I, so on a backpack hunt, you can't do that. you no. got to take the stuff that's proven. Yeah. On a horseback hunt, throw a couple extra things in. I bought those cheap black Ovis collapse. You know, the ones that you got and then you got. And I was like, well, I'm going to. You got them now. I got them I now. I'm like, okay. I, was with I, you I spent 90 bucks on the black Ovis ones. And then I, so I, I would have been way better off just to buy the Leckies. But I was sure missing my black diamonds the first day when I so put my trekking pole so down. So during the hunt, weather, <laughs> game movement, physical um, condition, and gear list is all things that you have to have prepared before you get in there. But on the hunt, you have to have your mindset right with them because these are these are the top four issues that we have when people call and go, my hunt was not what I thought it was going to be. And why? Because of weather. Because of gear movement, because of physical, well, I wasn't physically prepared. Right. I didn't have the right gear. And, and so my encouragement to everybody listening when we go through this is when you're on the hunt, you got to become a part. Of, you got to look at yourself like a second guide. You got to go, okay, I'm in here. Yeah, We're going to grind it, it out it together. It may not be physical. No. Um, if you're in Nebraska doing one of these uh, whitetail hunts and you're, you're five days in the tent, you know, you're five days in the ground blind and it's, Four degrees and twenty mile an hour winds. You got to be f- prepared and just your for feet the are cold. cold. And your feet are cold. And you right. want to go back. You know but the deer is still going to move with that, with or without you in there. Right. You got to be you ready just well to do set. It. You just it's well a different prepared. kind of toughness. Right. Right. I mean, like I know professional athletes that can give you one or two hours of like go time, but make them go twelve hours, no go. And then I would say something else, guys. If you're listening to this and you're like like I was in the beginning, you're going, okay, what you said earlier, is, is the kill the biggest part of this hunt? Then before you ever book a hunt, before you get on that hunt, you have to ask yourself, okay, and the outfitter, what is my, what's my like legitimate shot? Because here's the thing. I've sat – I ask people this. So you sat in a deer blind in Nebraska. Yep. Six-day hunt. Yep. If a 195-inch deer would have walked out the last five minutes of your hunt and you would have put a hole in it and got your hero shot, would that have made the hunt good? And yes. if your answer is yes, but you're complaining about your hunt, you have nothing to complain about. 
Right. Oh. So do you see what I'm saying? You, you almost as hunters, we have to go in there and go, okay, was this hunt, if I would have killed something on day three, seven, or nine, would it have been what I was well, looking for? Well, an example is we have, we've been in camps that had super high success rates and shot good stuff, but there were disappointments in, you know, you got to look at it from, you got to know what your expectations oh. are and what you can live with. Now, now well, there, there's also that point, there's yeah. also the point, and maybe you can speak to this from an outfitter's perspective. You know, as I'm sitting there now, I, I would lie if I didn't say that I've sat there and go, hmm, the guide could have moved, uh, not the guide, the outfitter could have moved me. Um, we could have looked at different areas. Was, was there enough scouting done? Was it, you know what I'm saying? So you become hypercritical automatically when well, success be, goes they'll down. Well, they be hypercritical after the hunt, be critical during the hunt. You got to be proactive. And assume responsibility from your hunt from the time you get there. Good point. And that means ask questions. And if you don't like what's going on, don't complain about the guide on the last day. Complain to the outfitter about the guide on the first day. And or call your booking. People call us I don't us even say calling. Out. I actually shouldn't harass the booking agent. Really, the booking agent, I mean, he, he can't really do that much. Maybe after the end of the hunt. Really, while you're there, though, it's, it's between you, the guide, and the outfitter. And you need to have good communication with them. Because right. complaining, I've had hunters that complain to people, and I don't even, they say, oh, how's everything going good? And they're complaining to somebody on a satellite phone, like, what good does that do? Nothing. It doesn't solve anything. Right. No, that's good perspective. And that, that's why we're doing this podcast but there's a today, lot of because we, we want you to go, well, hey. Here's what hunting's like. How, how, else, how else can a 70-year-old guy that doesn't have good vision and can't walk get a Boone and Crockett animal in the mountains? I mean, he's got to hire an outfitter that can spot it, find it for him, and everything else, Right. And so basically, you become like a, a guy becomes almost like a prostitute. You're I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I joke about it. That's kind of what you are. And so, um, you, if, and other times, you're like totally good friends, right? I mean, you become Correct. really good friends with the client because he has to go guided. Like, you become good friends with your guides because you're like a buddy. You're, he would hunt with you maybe even if you weren't paying him if he, if he didn't need the money. And so other guys, it's like, well, I'll take the guy hunting, but it's going to be really difficult because everything we do has to be perfect in order for this guy to be successful because he's right on the edge of not being able to do this hunt. So a lot of guys put themselves <laughs> in a situation where they're not going to be successful, but they, they put the pressure on the guy. And the outfitter says, well, it's a challenge. I'll see if I can get him that animal. And so it, it becomes very difficult, right? You're basically micromanaging the guy the entire time. Other hunters are basically like hunting with a buddy. But you pro proactive, being proactive and being competent, being able to close the deal is super. Being a closer, uh, if I ask one thing about a client is obviously have a good attitude, but be a closer. If the hunter can't close, um, you know that's really difficult in the guide situation. You can do everything right, but the hunter can't get the job done. So, and, and at the end of the day, when guys are spending thirty grand or fifty grand on a sheep hunt, they expect results. You know, I think Brian, I, I want to speak to that. Because I don't think it's just thirty or fifty grand. Because the guy that spent three to five thousand dollars, that money might be just as important to him on a whitetail hunt mm -hmm. or an offshore fishing hunt as the for a marlin as as it was to the guy that has thirty yeah. to fifty. Because um, because just because one guy has a lot more money than another guy has doesn't mean their the dollar value is any more or less important to him. And I'm not I'm not correcting you, but it, I, it depends. I, it depends. I, think, yep. I think that most of our listeners, most of these people that hunt, because some people have no desire ever to shoot a sheep. I heard a guy say something the other day. Um, Noel and I were talking to him, and he said this. He goes, I'm not mad enough at a mountain goat to crawl to the top of the mountain to shoot him. <laughs> but he goes, "But he goes, I sure want to enjoy a whole bunch of deer hunts in the rest of my life. Yeah. Does that make sense? But I think the average deer hunter knows if they want to shoot a big deer, 
it may be 30 to 40% success. But the problem is with some of these guys, they've heard about this, and they've been on a dull sheep hunt. They went Marco Polo hunting, then they go bighorn hunting, and for example. And they think, well, it's like the other hunts. Well, the bighorn's like 40%. Not eighty right. or ninety, and but it costs fifty. Grand. I see what you're saying. So it depends. On, so is the guy a shooter? Yep. A collector, a hunter. What is he out there for? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Say that again, right. because I think we all need to categorize ourselves in this when we walk in to a hunt, because I think it can change. I might be a collector on this hunt. I might be a shooter on this hunt, and I might be an adventure seeker. What did you say that was? Uh, like a collector, a guy who's a collecting, like he wants a hunter, a, a shooter, or a collector. Yeah, some guys are just shooters, which can be like a collector too. They don't really care about the process; they get care about the end result. I uh, really, uh, what I call, especially you can say, archery hunters, are kind of the the epitome of the principle of how the animal shot. I mean, you can shoot like you can always tell when a guy is a fanatical bow hunter. I said, would you rather shoot a ten inch mountain goat that scores fifty two inches, um, and has six inch bases with a rifle, or would you rather shoot a forty one inch two or three year old Billy or a nanny with your bow. Oh, I'd rather shoot a, you know, I can't relate to that. Like to me, it's like lowering your standards too low, but that's how they actually feel. And so they're extremely principled on how the job is done. Just like some hunters, if you say, well, we can chase this big Argali across a mountain to you and you sit in this pass and we'll shoot it. Some guys will say, oh, that's great. I don't want to go hike it. Right. The other guy says, no, no, we're not chasing it. I'm going to, if I can't get to it, I'm not going to shoot it. Right. Same in Africa. You get South African game farms, they just drive around and shoot everything from the, the high rack. Other guys park the truck and hike five miles to get an eland. So you can hunt a game farm in, in Africa, and it can be 5,000 acres and can be way more difficult than driving around in a high rack in Zimbabwe in a wild area and shooting them off the, the high rack. So it's, it's like you have to know what, it, what is your principle, and you can't you got to communicate to the guide. If you don't want to hunt a certain way, don't hunt that way. You just let him know, but don't get mad after the fact because he's not a mind reader, right? That's why relationships with husband and wives often go bad is because they uh, don't communicate, right? Or business partners, they don't communicate. This guy assumes this guy's putting this much money into it, and this guy assumes this guy's going to work 100 hours a week. And But really, they, they weren't on the same page. And same thing with a guide, right? The hunter says, well, I can do whatever it takes. But then he gets there, and he can't do anything. Um, well, I think that I think what you're saying, though, a hunter, shooter, a collector, uh, we almost need to categorize ourselves in which one of those we are and be real honest with uh -huh. ourselves. Because being honest with yourself before you go on any of these hunts and what you're booking it for would probably be a good place to start. Do you think you can so only be on one, or can you be? No, a you I think you could be, be all three. three. I think you could be all three. I think you'd be a hunter, a shooter, and a collector. Because you know what? At the end of the day, I think some of us are a little bit of all three. Are we not? Well, if you've, never if you've never shot a blacktail, you're probably not going to say, I want to shoot a top 10 blacktail on my first hunt. If you've already shot 50 blacktails, maybe you're holding out for a top 10 blacktail and you don't care. But if you want big, you got to be willing to go home without one. So here, here's, uh, so I was on my first blacktail hunt last year, and uh, um, I thought the guide, the guide made a super good statement. We'd seen two bucks, and I said, I, I looked at him, I go, they look pretty small. And he goes, yeah, blacktail are pretty small. This is what he said to me. And I go, okay. He goes, they look pretty good to me. Have you ever shot a blacktail? And I go, and he knew the answer. I go, well, I go, Michael, you know I haven't. He goes, right. That's what I'm thinking. So maybe you should start with shooting one. That lower one looks pretty good. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and he goes, let's see if that rifle can make that shot. And I was sitting there pondering. He could tell, and he goes, no, listen, if we shoot it, we, it's an easy drag. We drag it down here. We'll take its stomach out of it. We'll put it over there. And by the time we get back after a little hike, there'll probably be a fox on it. You shoot that too. Boom. 
I shot, I shot the deer. I was like, <laughs> good he plan. knew, he knew what to trip your trigger, <laughs> exactly. right? Fox, <laughs> yes, copy first that. One, check first one, nice animal. It's a good representative. I've never shot one. He goes, you got two tags, but Let's you had the right mental one. attitude. You were good. You were good to have a conversation with that, and I he was, was good about it. He didn't push you. He didn't push me. You know, I think it's also good if you're going for a guided hunt to have empathy and put yourself in the guides spot exactly a lot of people don't do that i think i think that's a really no. good you have to look at it from really both it's a psychologist a guide is a psychologist so should a hunter yeah because you're, you're 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 out there living and and breathing in the same air as that guide especially if you're on a backpack hunt i mean he's like your buddy i mean like he's like your teammate on a football team but you never get away from each other so john said to me on day four or five he goes <laughs> oh boy here's where we're at and he was he was putting himself in my shoes and then I had to put myself in his shoes, too. That's pretty cool, though, because a lot of guides don't put themselves in your – it's right. like, okay, I need to get this guy to squeeze that trigger. Right. So when you're on the hunt, I guess this part of this podcast, I want to make sure that when you're on the hunt and you have weather problems, you have game movement problems, there's physical complications, there's some gear issues. You, you, what I'm hearing us all say from a guide's perspective and adventure, we have to have empathy for each other. We got to make sure our attitude's positive and we're, and we're communicating truths to each other, approaching this like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on, right? And um, so I think that's really, really, really positive. So now, after the hunt, after the hunt, um, you, you, you got a day or two to decompress. You've thought about it. How do you wrap up your hunts mentally and, and uh, you know, go, hey, this is, how do you assess your hunt after the hunt? How do you assess well, your hunts after about, that? Tell me, tell me what you do. I, you know what? Personally, um, now, I, I wrote this out before, so I've had a little preparation. But I look at the guide, and I, I ask myself, did he, give me, did he give me everything I give him? Did, were we on equal? Because in a marriage, it's the same way. Is there a give and a take? Are you willing to compromise? You know, um, I, I think that that's the big thing. And so I look at it four ways. I say guides, outfitter. Did the outfitter do it? So if I have a guide and the guide's not the outfitter. And by the way, I, I, I know we're going to do one on tipping, okay? But I tip the guide if he's my outfitter. And if the outfitter is my guide and they're one and the same, that he should get a tip. The outfitter, if he assumes a guide role, should get a tip. is the guide. Yes, that's I mean, quite If good. you go on a guided hunt and, the outfit, and you want the outfitter to guide you, and then you don't tip the outfitter, you should never go on a guided hunt again. Exactly. I feel the no, same no, way. No, no, you're an idiot because you wanted the guide who – sometimes the outfitter is the best guide. Other times he's not because he's stressed out with his business. So you got to understand, if you're going to go with a guy outfitter, know that he may need to be on the phone call. He may need to put out a fire. So, you know, so right. it, the outfitter's role is also outfitting and not just guiding. So, so, so from a guide's perspective, I look at it. I assess the guide. I assess the outfitter. I assess the overall location. And then the one thing I overanalyze and I give a lot to thought about is the season I went in on. Did I go on the first hunt they had? Did I go on in the second hunt they had? Did I go on in the third hunt they had? Well, and, and you can't it, base that on one year. No, you, you can't. You have to look at a year. That's why guys say, what's the best date? I said, here's, here's the variables. <laughs> the best here's the parameters. Here's the best and worst case scenario on every date. Right. Because right. the guys, that's the most most normal thing. Right. So what I do is I assess it based on my experience too. Pros and cons. I tell my boys this all the time because they both run their own business. And when they ask me questions in business, I say, listen, I'm not giving you an answer based on something that I want you to or not to do. I'm giving you an answer based on what my experience is from a specific season. 
a season in my life. I draw all my answers as a business person after being self-employed for 30 plus years. I base them on seasons. And so the last thing I always check and always reflect on is a season. And this year so far, I've journaled every hunt every night. And I've never done that before. Um, and so I've journaled it. It's actually a good idea. I used to do it. And, and, and I got to tell you, I just read it last night. I was reading through the journal. So if you ever want to write stories on it, you need a journal. Otherwise, you'll lose. A, you'll mm-hmm. lose. And even me, I have a great memory, but I can say certain things are like starting to fade. It's just little, amazing little how it brought me right back to what I wrote that night and, and my journaling. And I'm, I'm intending on doing it all the way through the rest of the hunting season, all the hunting tags I have left, because it was, it was really good. And I think what happens is when we exit the hunt, that's why I wanted to break this up into three parts. A lot of times we leave a hunt and we don't assess it, and we don't, want, we don't assess it, which means we don't really take it and say, how can we get better for the next hunt we're going to book for me and you, Brad, as adventure seekers? Mm-hmm. And then for the guide... Um, that's why I'm asking you these questions. What do you think, Brian, after a hunt's over, how do you assess it? Do you you look at your guy and go, that guy could be a piece of crap. Do you go, I should have done a better job. How how do you assess it? I I mean, you just have a big mental database of things to do and not to do. Right. And so you'll have like, it's kind of like if some, to me, hunting, going on a hunt is kind of like going on a, on a date or something like that if you mm-hmm. got a guide, yep. right? You go, okay, I'm never going to date women like that again, right? Or I'm never going to drive a car like that again. They're not fun to drive or they're, not, they're too difficult. And so you wanna, you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to go with an outfitter that's that way again. I don't like cowboy outfitters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a, a backpack outfitter. Or you're yep. going to say, I don't want to go with a guy who's a pothead. I, don't, I didn't even think about it, but this guy was a pothead. I don't like potheads on my hunt. Right. right. And there's little things like that will get to you. Right. I don't want to I want a guy who's super technical, maybe a little bit gruff, but I want a guy who's an absolute killer. Or do you want a guy who's like a great horseman that's there for the experience? Right. You have to look at what's so you, you can, what's a perfect guide. You can go on the same hunt as Brad and he could think it's a nine out of ten and you can say it's a three out of ten. Same exact experience. Right. Be like driving fast. I could take somebody down the road and, and I could take them to a race car track and the next person. One person is scared shit and never will do it again. The other guy is so excited he takes a race car driving course and wants to become a race car driver. So it's, it's, it's what scares, like some people have fear of heights. They climb a mountain once, never again. The other guy said, man, I'm going to go climb all the 14,000ers in Colorado this year. So that's, and on a hunt, you have to be really flexible. Good communication with a guide, flexibility, and, and it takes two to tango. But at the end of the day, if the hunter's not happy, and he wants to change, and I can be flexible and let him do it what he wants to do. He's paying for the hunt. Just like if you have a contractor come over and he paints the house color just because he likes the color and you don't like the color, doesn't mean he should paint it the color he wants. He can give you his opinion, but at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with the color. And you can say, no, we're going to go green. I know you don't like green, but I want this color green. And that's kind of how you do it on a guide hunt. The, guy, the, the, the hunter can say, you know what? I don't want to ride the horse in the dark. So what do we need to do to be successful? Well, we need to sleep right where the animals are. That means we've got to leave the horses. Okay, that's fine. That's what we'll do. Because some guys are scared of the dark. They don't want to be around bears. And they think in the dark, even though it's not going to happen, they're going to run into a bear. I've had guys, you know, be really nervous. So communication is key to anything. And it, that guide, outfitter, hunter relationship is a relationship to a certain extent. 
It's like a it's like a it's like a short term business partnership. Sounds like communication and adaptation. If the flexibility, if, if is if super I don't want to do this. I've always said this yeah. in business: communication preparation is a hundred percent of success. You show me a football team in Iowa or Nebraska. Well, Nebraska doesn't win, but you show me a football team like Iowa that wins all the time. I'll show you somebody that that they can effectively communicate their strategy and and they're prepared. They're more prepared than anybody else, and I find that to be true in. And with guided hunts also from a hunter's perspective and a guide's perspective. So if you're the hunter, all you got to do is be more prepared than you ever thought and, my, my, and be able to effectively communicate your shot, your physical approach, your attitude on the weather, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, reflect on yourself, reflect on the country, reflect on the guide. Um, you know, this may be not what you envisioned it to be, the place. And, and maybe, yeah. oh, my gosh, this was unbelievable. Like, I want to come back here next year. Um, you know, because I, I don't I, believe in miracles, and I don't believe I I, I believe in don't rely on luck. What's that saying? It's better to be lucky than good. It's better to be but, lucky. But, but than I, good. I don't know if that's a good saying or not. I, I said I'll take luck when I can get it, but I don't count on it. I think if you work hard and you put the harder your you work, it, the luckier you get. Exactly, a hundred percent believe. I've that. I've hunted with very 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 few guides and outfitters that I wouldn't want to go back with again. You know, look at it from yeah, perspective. Yeah, I've said that a million and, times. And I've enjoy never... yourself. Enjoy the experience. Yeah. Well, again, you can be flexible. You only have to spend a week or 10 days with them. And uh, and if you're honest with your outfitter before you get there, or, the, you know, he can probably do a better job of matching up with the right guide. That's exactly right. Communicate. So In that this goes case, back both to... of you guys will often will hunt with the outfitter himself. Yeah. Because you want to get to know him. Well, like 50% and, and, and of the time. a lot of times it's not even us that requires that. We're, we're a booking service. They know we're coming in. So they go, okay, I'm going to go with that guy because I want to know. Well, you want, he's going to educate you on yeah, his business. Exactly. And you're going to ask him why he does what he does. Exactly. And then we can then we can know each other. So um, so I think all of this today, from my perspective. Can, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of information. But, here's but never what, assume anything, I always say. Never assume and always be super flexible. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and go overprepared. Go, go, go to thrive, not to survive. If you go, that's why I don't weigh my pack. No, <laughs> I need it. You weigh your pack, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Like either you're not strong enough or you don't know. Because if you're actually going to take things in out of your pack based on weight, obviously you, you need a little bit more experience. Brian, I couldn't tell you how much that's changed my life over the last five years. I was not equipped going into Russia uh, onto my hunt. And, I, and before I was, and that one I wasn't, changed my life forever. Not in just hunting, but everything I do. Because I go in to thrive, not survive. And I, I'm not going in with gear I don't know. I'm not, and, and it did. It changed me in the way I approach everything. And you know what? Now, no matter what, if I'm sitting in a, in, in a tent and it's raining and it's been raining for 12 days and, and I've been hunting in this stuff, I look around and go, how can I thrive right now? What can make me a little happier? How can I do this? Oh, let's get my jet boil out and, let you know, whatever it is, let, thrive, not let's, survive. I let's think that's boil great. some tea. Exactly. Make a cup and, of coffee. I, I, you know what? A big <laughs> shout out to uh, David T. Williams because he, he, he goes, they said, um, they said, you're going to pack that up the hill? And he goes, I'm going to pack that up the hill from moral, spiritual, and pure pleasure for myself. And so that extra pound and a half that I'm going to take is going to provide me peace and harmony. And that's what I'm going to do. Was it well, jet boil? It, it was his little jet boil in his cup because every day he had tea hour and it was like, nope, break time. We're and so the last day him and I hiked this gnarly, monstrous mountain together. And he liked hot tea? And he, No, he was coffee. But we were on the steep, steep. And he goes, Brian, I don't like doing this. And I go, you know what? I don't either. He goes, let's get this done. 
and so we can have a coffee. And I'm like, I'm all in with you, brother. And so it's just little things so like that. So you got that. to the plateau and uh, uh, flat spot and had your coffee. Yeah, exactly. So here's the reality, guys. I really appreciate all your input today. I love. I, I I really appreciate you guys listening. Okay. If you have any questions on this, or have had a circumstance, a situation, a scenario that you said, you know what? Yes, but yes, I did. But I covered that. Send us an email because you know what we'd like to do. We'd like to respond to you on how we'd handle it. If how you we go, grow. Yeah. How we grow. If you go, you know what? I had this, but how would you have handled that? Send us an email. What? We'll Brad, get back to you. Brian, get back to you. Myself will get back to you. We want to engage with you and help you get better and have a better experience no matter where you're going on your hunts and where you're going on your, your adventures. This today was building your own decision-making muscles, like Brian said, like Brad said. How do you build decision-making muscles on your hunts to make your experience better? So, I uh, hope this helped uh, like crazy. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it, like always. Remember to uh, subscribe to Hunt the World wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and many other locations. Leave us an honest rating. Again, give us some feedback. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and until next week, stay safe, be healthy, and happy hunting.